Welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast that has the science and the screaming to determine what the best movie is of any given year. Before I introduce this week's panelists, know this, that this show is also a game in which points are awarded for well-made arguments, cogent thoughts about the film, jokes, and anything else I feel like awarding. The winner will be my best friend for a week and have gloating rights. And also, before I introduce the panelists, you should know that they already have a fair amount of points under each of their individual belts. And if you're wondering why, you gotta head over to patreon.com slash your pop filter. If you're not given a little bit of cashish, you're not getting the full story. I'm your host, Mike Gravano. I need to pay my rent this month. Please become a patron. <laughs> Your winner of last week, if my notes are correct, and my best friend, and I definitely know this because he's delivered me blueberry muffins fresh and warm to my doorstep every day, is Greg. Hey, Mike. Glad to see you. Hope you're enjoying the blueberry muffins. For me, it's blueberry or nothing. That's, that's what I say. Blueberry or bust. Blueberry but I've had so or many bust. Blueberry muffins that this belt is a bust in them, am I right? Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Getting old sucks, kids. And his competitor, the Killmonger to his T'Challa, screaming things like, is this your king? It's Ryan. I didn't understand this movie because I didn't see the first 23. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, you guys want to hear something fucked Ryan. up? Like, yes, fucked I do. up? Yeah, light on me. Tonight... Yeah. Did Mike already tell us? What, I don't want to steal Mike's thunder. He, did he say we're talking about 24-hour party people? We are talking about 24-hour party people. Greg. Thank you for letting me be the one to say the name of this movie tonight. Yeah, I mean, if I hadn't said anything, then we probably would have gotten through the whole thing without anyone ever knowing. But tonight we're talking about 24-hour party people. Later on in the season, we're talking about 25th hour, which has to be a sequel, according yeah, to the rules so. of the dumb jokes that we make. That That's the how rules. numbers and then work. The prequel, because it came out years later to these movies, the number 23, starring one Jim Carrey. Classic movie. <laughs> My favorite Jim Carrey performance. Is that weird? I've only seen that one, so I <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's automatically my favorite. Because I mean, you're so young. I've been told he had a big year in 94. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if I was born earlier than I was, um, it would have been... In 94, he made three of my favorite movies of all time, but I don't know. He was so popular at one point that he actually had to yell out to people, somebody stop me. (laughs) (laughs) I will have none of his buffoonery on this show tonight. (laughs) That is a quote by one Tommy Lee Jones, which is why I've never seen Batman Forever, because I will also have none of his buffoonery. And you know what, dude? Stay. Stay in protest like you are. You never see (laughs) Batman Forever. Batman never more like. Hmm. Okay. Uh, if Jim Carrey led a hard life because uh, back in the day when you could smoke in restaurants, they would say smoking or non-smoking, and he would have to by law say smoking. <laughs> He's like, please, I think I have early onset. <laughs> please don't put me emphysema. <laughs> please don't put me in the smoking section. I just have to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> nope. You said smoking. Here we go. And it's whatever smokiest corner. <laughs> In the mid-90s, when everybody was all about saving the rhinos, he was like, please, do not save the rhinos, because he knew he was going to have to crawl out of all of his bottles. <laughs> Smoking. That guy. Little piece Smoking. of cinema history. Do you know who has nothing to do with 24-hour party people? One, Jimothy Carey. He will not 
be talked about the rest. I can't say he won't be talked about the rest of the night because I know who we are, but he is not in this movie, much to its chagrin. <sighs> Gentlemen, what is your personal history with the aforementioned 24-hour party people? Greg, starting with you. I don't believe I had ever heard of this movie. I'm not at all familiar with the time period that it covers. I have listened to <laughs> basically none of the bands, but I am a huge Steve Coogan fan, and I'm also uh, a big fan of his like references to like literary theory and, and cultural criticism and stuff. Um, but I, as for- I, I do not mean this, so one sorry to interrupt, I do not mean this as an insult because he plays a bit of a D-bag, but the way he casually lays literary references i was just like that's a very greg trait there the amount of times yeah. i have to look up words i haven't heard before <laughs> it, it it that that's probably uh, i probably saw a little bit of myself in this awful <laughs> he's an interesting character we'll, we'll get into it but yeah i was i was a little bit lost because uh i enjoyed the movie had fun time w- watching it but i couldn't have been more out to see with like its references and I-, I was just like i was lost from the beginning to the end and having seen it through twice um as a i loved i loved each of the scenes each of the scenes was so interesting sometimes i had no idea why they were happening one after <laughs> the other though <laughs> What, with that, like, so you're not not into this kind of music. Uh, what I know you're a younger man than this, but music from the late '70s through the early '90s. What is your jam, if not the punk, post-punk, Madchester? You were into like craze. TV theme songs at the time, right? That's pretty much all you listen to. I liked jingles. You know, I love a good jingle. Obviously. Um <laughs> 17th century children's rhymes, big, big fan. <laughs> something like, uh, uh, you're not fully clean unless you're zestfully clean. That's something that you would rock ooh. on vinyl. I guess for me, there is That's kind of a big, um, a big black hole in my, listening to music after the 70s and until like the, the mid-90s. Because I was like, I need a new sound. And it didn't come around until new metal. And so basically, I was like, I'll just keep <laughs> listening to Pink Floyd until new metal comes on the scene. Until an angry white man says, headstrong, you think I want to? Oh, man. <laughs> it's so good. It's uh, it's like poetry. It's like the best since Yates. Look, I know we can't, we shouldn't have to apologize for our former selves, but Ryan gets a point just because you said, I didn't listen to anything between Pink Floyd and new metal. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that's <laughs> That's what the what we our listeners expect us to do. I will say though that if the song Headstrong is like Yates, then I would say the band Trapped that I think recorded that song is basically like The Last Supper. But you know yes. what, Mike? I guess it's like Metallica. I think I went through a, a very long period mm. where I basically only listened to Pink Floyd and or, or Metallica. <laughs> that that is better. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ryan, uh, what is your experience, your personal history with the 24-hour party people? I knew people who had seen this movie when it came out, and they were awful. Greg, you think you're better than us? Yeah, dude. Okay, I had no, I knew people that had seen this movie. <laughs> or you know what? It's just the okay, brag. Okay, stop holding it over our fucking heads, Ryan. It's just the brag that I knew people. And then yes. right there. I don't want to hear about these other people. <laughs> you fucking... A, a little jealous, okay? You Minecraft players can't handle that. Uh, I... And people, I remember people talking about it, but like it was a little bit, I don't want to say full Rick and Morty ish, but like people who talked about this movie were douchebags. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think maybe I had avoided I it 
because of that, uh, despite the fact that I became over the years since then a tremendous uh, fan of the Winterbottom um, Coogan duo. Coogan. And so we're going cougars, right? We could say we're three cougars. Absolutely. Yeah, three cougars yeah. here. With a winter bottom. woman in Newport Beach. <laughs> uh, now that I've seen it, though, I can say there is a way to like this movie as a douchebag. And there's a way to like <laughs> it like I do, which is to appreciate film. The fight clubification. <laughs> right. 24 hour party people. And what what is your personal history with the bands and era? That the music or the movie is focusing on. Um, I I would say that I have always known Joy Division, much like the Smiths, which we talked about in the Patreon segment, which uh, poor people wouldn't know about. Um, I've always thought of them as somebody to appreciate from afar. Not really got into. Um, my favorite band mentioned in this movie is probably Buzzcocks or New Order, which those are the ones that are talked about the least. Um, this is music that was always right. You got all pumped at the beginning, and they're like, uh, "We're move- guys. What about the bands I like, guys? <laughs> what if what if they uh, what if they had you know melody and you enjoyed their lead singer? Nope, they're gone. Um, so yeah, it was just like again, these were bands that people I knew liked, or the Smiths that were also left out of the movie. The, that's a certain kind of person when you're growing mm-hmm. up. Now we can love everything and be a normal person, but back then, but the, it was the Gypsy Den kids. Right, and uh, my my stuff was way more mainstream and closer to top forty than anything in this movie would be. I do have to say, I um the a lot of the bands in this movie were represented on patches I saw on backpacks. Yeah, where's the mm-hmm. where's the Dead Kennedys? If we're gonna talk about patch Black bands, flag? yeah, casualties. <laughs> the but misfits? like uh, Susie, I like I feel like I had never actually seen that person. But I had seen that patch for years. Right. Greg, you thankfully just taught me how to say Siuxi for the first time. I always figured that's what it was. That no, you it's Siuxi it like and that. the Banshees. It's, yeah, it's like the Native American. I thought it was a uh, the way like an Australian or a Welsh person calls somebody sexy. Oh, that last is Siuxi. You did, <laughs> you did think that. Okay. Well, I didn't know you I, thought that. You, now you do. Oh, know that I thought that going like oh, uh, having watched it though, having experienced it, um, and it's not it's not a, you know a kickback movie necessarily, although it feels like that at times. I fell for this movie fucking hook line and sinker, and tonight with you guys, what I'm trying to figure out to do, what I'm trying to figure out is how much of that is because it's very up my alley in a lot of ways, not just musically, but comedically postmodernly whatever and then how much is this is this like a well put together movie showing off a lot of filmmaking talent like the main character slash uh narrator i do think you were postmodern before it was fashionable so it makes sense <laughs> i appreciate that it was that. up your alley we are going to take the quickest of break and when we come back dive into all 24 hour party people the story behind the man behind Factory Records and the Madchester scene. 24-hour party people see Steve Coogan and director Michael Winterbottom team up almost a decade before their trip series. The movie follows Tony Wilson on his journey through the music world with the Sex Pistols, Joy Division, and the Happy Mondays, and more in a combination of real events, rumors, urban legends, and the imaginings of the screenwriter with a blend of real-world footage, absurdism, and fourth-wall breaking. The film was nominated for the Palme d'Or at the 2002 Cannes Film Festival, but lost to The Pianist. Taste Buds, I ask you this. The movie misquotes David Lynch from The Fableman, saying, when the legend becomes fact, 
we go low. What are the movie's goals as far as myth-making goes from the post-punk stars we meet to Tony Star mm, to Tony Stark's nope, to Tony <laughs> Wilson's self-declared Icarus knockoff. I I think that the movie does an amazing job of attempting to be the movie that Tony Wilson wants it to be about him, but we get to see it from just a slightly different Why? angle. And so Tony Wilson is the myth, as he declares, right? In the very first scene, he's like, to the audience, he says, this is going to be Icarus. Just say no. deeper meaning. It works on two levels. <laughs> I like how he references that later. Remember how earlier a scene worked on two levels? Same thing here. <laughs> and so he is sort of creating his own myth. But I think that um, the, the, the collaboration between Michael Winterbottom and Steve Coogan and Tony Wilson as Steve Coogan, as Steve Coogan, like all of these things are working together to paint an appropriate story of not a myth, but myth building. Mm. And I think that's ultimately why the movie right. works. And a lot like myths, though, like it felt to me almost like you were supposed to already know everything that was like going on. And they were just supposed to come in and show us the really crazy stories from right. this time. Mm-hmm. And I, lo- I have to reiterate this because it's going to sound like a major complaint, but I loved each individual scene of this movie, like each m- montage, each like musical cut, uh, every monologue. But the next scene would start and I'd have no idea why, like we were at this part of the story now or, or what how connected. far into the future. Yeah. Like, what did I, you know, and, and sometimes they actually take advantage of that as a joke. Right. And he's like, oh, yeah, I probably should have mentioned that I had a second wife and that I had a kid. But the movie's not about right. me. I'm not the star. I'm just supposed to fade into the background. So you but like that was tough for me because well, did you did you have your phone in hand? Like, were you? You know, because like we tried to like never second screen or anything because we're, we're we're legitimate movie watchers. But like, were you like, I want to look up why is this guy here? Like, why is this cameo seem different than this person over here? No, because I can't like I can't engage with the movie on the right level if I'm not exclusively like staring at every part of it. And then well, did I, you rely? Sorry, go ahead. So then, and then I like I didn't do the extra research of it. The closest thing I came to Ryan was I really wanted to look up some clips of Tony Wilson talking because mm-hmm. I just had this feeling that so there was so much energy that the Coog was putting into like doing a great impression of that guy. But again, that's kind of lost on me because it's like, I don't know. I don't know who that guy is. I've never heard of him before this. But doesn't that all feed right. into it at the same time, which is we're dealing with myth making and I think that there are so many people in rock history that you're going to hear about and now reference back to the movie and be like, oh, I've heard of that person. I know some things about them. That's cr- that's building the myth. And like maybe it's not fair to the actual artists of the Happy Mondays or Joy Division or even Tony Wilson. But the movie is doing the same thing at, at the same time of deflating and creating myth making. Yeah, that's what yeah. it really does. It does both of those things. Because a lot of times these acts come off as like, they're supposed to be musical geniuses and they're out there fucking poisoning pigeons. Yeah. Like, they just <laughs> seem like like people that never grew up. Like big, stupid kids forever. And if you didn't know that they were geniuses, you would not think that they turned out that way. I mean, and that were Having the biggest idiot in the movie, Tony Wilson, uh, say the singer of the Happy Mondays is 
equally as genius as Yates. Yes. Uh, and the way we meet Sean is poisoning those pigeons. It's saying, oh, nobody is a genius. Everything is horseshit. And the artist does not always know what they're making, which is what, what I got. I, like, I liked the deflation a lot. And that this watching the movie, I, I researched for like the hour afterwards because I was like, watch the movie. And afterwards, I spent so much time being like, who the fuck was that? <laughs> uh, but it reminded me of the pre-internet days when we did not have the internet in our hands. This is the mix of like, did you hear yes. Ozzy bit the head off of a bat on stage and you, you only knew the lore for a long time and later you learned that he thought it was rubber and somebody pranked him and then it was a bat. <laughs> and so the movie felt like... Every annoying kid who was a little cooler than you and a little lamer than you in high school who was into music that was better than your music telling you all these stories. And I mean, like, yeah, the Rod Stewart, the Richard Gere of it all is all dealt yes. with here with people cleaning the t- uh, the sinks in the bathroom saying, like, yeah, I was there for that moment. I don't remember this like that well, at all. It's not I was there for that moment. That was the guy who's supposedly fucking Tony Wilson's wife. That was the real buzzcock who's like, I don't remember fucking. I don't remember this. And she says it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. But the but, rumor is, I got to say, that's the, just how it works, fellas. If you get caught uh, in flagrante by your lady, then uh, she might go off and uh, go full penetration herself. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess you got to kick it up a notch, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if you see, if you if, if somebody brings a knife to the fight, you got to bring a gun. But also that scene is perfect with the whole myth making. If Tony Wilson, as the this is going to get so hard to talk about, but Tony Wilson as the character in the movie creating his own myth because Tony Wilson sees himself as a guy who admits that he fucked up because he got a blowjob from a hooker in a van, but then he walks into the bathroom, sees his wife getting fucked by a member of the Buzzcocks, and he handles it in a certain way, which is just like, first of all, I didn't do full penetration, but full I, penetration. <laughs> I need the car keys because that's in his head how the Why? Tony Wilson would handle it is like, but I'm gonna cool. be. I'm not gonna like fight the guy. I'm not gonna scream at my I'm wife. So, I'm just I, so chill. Yeah, but it, like this is just part of the Manchester scene, baby. And like this is how I'm going to handle it. He is. We're watching somebody create the myth in real time. You know where else you see that, Ryan? When he's telling that story about how he's gonna go like interview that lord or whatever, and he keeps talking <laughs> about how he's gonna be like his plan is to be so cool and composed and just be like, hey. Heard you called the Mad Monk. And instead, he runs in late, and he's, like, all out of breath. He's like, because <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the Mad you're The, mad the monk. most right. relatable anybody is in this. <laughs> that That is, like, I've been that version of Tony Wilson so many times. The it's guy just owns him three times in a row, outdoes him intellectually over and over and over again, and he's just like, fuck off. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> or how, like, he, it, there's a part where he, um, the factory records, I don't remember which uh, moment of, you know, like, what section of factory records history this is, but, like, they need money, so he has to go host Wheel of Fortune. And what's he going right. to do? He's going to give a speech before they get to the wheel about... The, the greatness the of wheels of and fortunes, yes. Because, <laughs> like, I have to I'm, – I'm so nervous Why? that people aren't going to write great things about me when I die. I have to give them the great things to write about me right now. <laughs> and what's so interesting about that is that's the thing that, like, homeless guy yells at him as he's walking. Yeah. He's like, I'm Boethius. I wrote the Constellation of Philosophy. I was talking about Fortuna's wheel. And then he's like, yeah, I know. Yeah, but whatever, then later buddy. he gets his opportunity and he's like, Boethius conceived a fortune as a wheel. <laughs> and – the other thing that is like elevating this movie so much in my brain is what has come 
since then, not before then. It's unfair to judge things before this movie came out, but <laughs> since then, we've had movies like Bohemian Rhapsody, which yeah. try to create the myth in, not in real time, but like during the movie, and all of us are sitting in the audience going like, none of this fucking happened, but we'll believe but it. He right watches a fat bottom girl walk by, and he's like, oh, oh she makes that rocking oh, girl oh. go around. Wait. <laughs> that's That's so much fucking bullshit. Like, and it, what it does is it takes the myth-making that history has done, what us mm. listening to the records have done, and it like literally writes it in a screenplay so we can film it, making that movie terrible and sort of ruining the myth that happened before. Right. I and now I, I dislike Queen more than I used to. I, I 100% like, do. Like, I'm this less movie into took Queen. the piss out. And it doesn't it seem like this movie came out and is British, and just like uh, Gervais before he's off made The Office, and then there's the American Office, uh, John C. Riley and folks went. Americans aren't going to watch Twenty Four Hour People. We're going to give you the goofier, walk hard, mm-hmm. the, the Dewey Cox story. The, after the the, the one two punch of these movies, why would you ever dare make a not piss takey version of a musician's biopic? You got to you get you have to do something different, and you know, like you have to uh, just like have an idea that is just something that we haven't seen before instead of this. Hey, geography that like this Ooh. movie I feel like ended right. it's, that should have ended all of it right and like there's been a billion examples Ray um mm-hmm. what's walk hard based on uh walk tall no wait walk the line walk the line walk thank you very much the... I mean Johnny Cash <laughs> Johnny Cash didn't seem to be that that, that good of a guy in his younger years and no. that movie like it's just like no like we're going to, uh, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend in the least tongue-in-cheek, most disgusting way. And I feel like that's that's why a movie that I like uh, that does the same thing, but I think more tongue-in-cheek, is Elvis. Did you guys see 2022's Elvis? I, I saw Elvis. Uh, I feel like Elvis is making fun of all of those types of movies in almost the same way. Like, just what if what if the legend and the, like, frothing foaming at the mouth um like making this guy into a god what if you took that energy and sort of tweaked it just a little bit and put it into the movie i, I, it, but I never get... winking like everybody saw dewey cox and was like well this is a comedy is, See, is boz lerman too good at his job here that's the thing i honestly think that he withholds that weird Hey, I'm also in on this joke, and that's mm. why it's a the movie doesn't land with some people because I think, and because of his back catalog. But right. like, I really do feel like that is an answer to the type of movie that we've gotten sick of, like the Rays or the Walk the Lines. Like, it just I- go like put that under a bunch of blankets and give it a fever, and then make that <laughs> version of the movie. I thought you could say put it right. under a bunch of blankets and then hit it with like soap or something soap. yeah soap code sucks. red <laughs> let's let's call it code red on music code biopics red movies. <laughs> uh but yeah i mean there's scenes in elvis like i'm specifically remembering listening to greg talk the uh the scene where um he just wants his pills baby mama he just he just wants his pills and priscilla doesn't want him to have them and like yeah it's it's walk hard level craziness <laughs> for sure or like when the when they first hear him and everyone keeps going, he's white. Oh my god, he's yeah. white. Like I mean, the way that that shows that's how built rid- a meme. Yeah, and mm. it's also like it. But I like you can't tell me Baz Luhrmann's not on the inside of how absurd it was that really the only thing that Elvis really had to offer, 
there was a million people doing what he did, but they happened to all be black. And that if you could just get the one that's white, then you'd be like, you'd have lightning in a bottle there. Like, I think he, that movie uh, points out the absurdity of that. It's important to remember that Baz Luhrmann is not uh, Aaron Sorkin or Oliver Stone, who would write that scene with, like, legit genuineness. Baz Luhrmann knows what he's doing. Okay movie, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, I think it's because I think it's the only other way to te- like now that in the in the post twenty four hour party people world, if you don't want to strip everything out of it, if you don't want to make an actual satire, you're almost out of moves. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you can either make the hagiography, or you can make fun of it, or like there's just not much left. And I think that he went in the only direction left, unless we take oh. like a ten year break and we just right. refuse to. We just won't no, do it. Like, no, we they're, will they're all... still old guys we haven't made movies about. <laughs> the 60s! Why? But don't fucking, don't fucking move forward in time. Don't make movies about <laughs> no, people. Dude. Don't, I don't want a Gin Blossoms movie. Keep making movies about the guys from the fucking 60s. Do you know why this is, Mike, still? Why? It's because they're the, like, they're the only people who buy uh, movie theater tickets, and they're the only people who watch it on TBS. So, like, Elvis is going to get such good numbers on TBS, and it's because the boomers are still watching. Anybody who watched Elvis when he was around is dead. I guess. I mean, like, a lot of them. But, like, the people who still know Elvis from a generation before are alive and still, Mm -hmm. like, revere him. Not to keep talking about this kind of thing as a kid. Let's keep talking about Elvis. Uh, (laughs) My my little brother, one of my little brothers, uh, loved Elvis as a child. And then around Wait, baby Elvis, he loved baby Elvis. <laughs> he loved he Elvis as a child. Wanted to talk about him when he was a baby. He was <laughs> what a about before man? he started singing? But around nineteen or twenty, he had to be like, "Please stop giving me Elvis-related oh, things for the last ten years. It's all anybody has given me. Please never stop. tell anybody that you're into anything, or that's <laughs> it for the rest of your I life. I contain multitudes. <laughs> Get he to said know as me. he put the nozzle in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that deserves points for everybody except my little brother we are going to take the quickest of breaks and when we come back talk about something completely different mount rushmore that sound of course means it's time to go to the lovely vistas of mount rushmore but we're not talking about presidents tonight unless there were also party animals that's right listeners we are building a mountain to the biggest party animals of pop culture that we can fit in our pretty pink mouths <laughs> or on our pretty pink mountain. <laughs> Greg, <laughs> take it away. Whew. All right, that was a lot. Okay, let's see. What do I want to wrap my pretty little mouth around? Um, mm-hmm. When I think of absolute party animals, one thing that I think you got to get is you're going to need multiple people and one of them should be the uncle of the other one. <laughs> This is a band that wrote many a party anthem. And unfortunately, they broke up, which I don't know if that means they're no longer uncle and nephew. No, uncle and nephew divorce? Yeah. <laughs> Irreconcilable differences. Uh, L-M-A-O-F. Ooh, I want to put it right on the mountain, but you got to get those letters in the right order, Did I not friend. do the right order? L- what is it? L-M-A-F-O. There we go. I mean, these days, it's probably L-M-F-A-L plus. A streaming service of just their music for five dollars a month. Five ninety nine, and yeah, 
<laughs> oh, I thought that was a like Tucker Carlson style Joe Rogan like. It was, but Greg saved us from this conversation, Mike, <laughs> and you brought us right back. That's my goal. Uh, yeah, LMFAO, not what I had in mind at all. Fucking, of course, they're on there. <laughs> all of their thing. They have a song called Party Rock Anthem. They are party animals. And I've never wanted to party. No, that's not true. I've never wanted to party with my uncle on my mom's side that I said to call uncle his name. But my <laughs> uncle my dad's side that I just call him his name because we're equals, I party with that guy all the time. I get it. I'm going to make some sort of fucking hippie jam band version of my video with him. <laughs> Ryan, rebuttal. Uh, well, I thought this was a movie show, but if it's not, and I'm just finding this out now, then uh, we're going to have to go with somebody who um, said, what are you guys not partying? Here's some Bud Lights, and I'm a dog, and my name is Spuds McKenzie. Oh, hell yeah. And I, I am the- No, bad one. <laughs> and I am the ultimate party. First of all, literally, I'm an animal. Yeah. <laughs> dog. That just my case. <laughs> and this is the dog that hung out with the Rugrats? Uh, yeah, probably. Um, I think that he he hung out with a lot of celebrities back in the yeah. L- Mike, this is Spuds McKenzie. This is the original beer dog. <laughs> uh, if you're thinking about like uh, that slurm worm, that's what this is based on, actually. So, dude, Mike, uh, one day uh, based based on both of your faces, and I don't know if this has ever happened, right. but just based on the amount of screaming <laughs> I'll get. But Spuds McKenzie is on the mountain. Mike, do you not know who Spuds McKenzie is? You. You know You're what? You're not a very cultured name. person, are you, Mike? <laughs> I'm not a very cultured person. I ignore a lot of the beer culture, which means I'm not a very American cultured Imagine person. Imagine if all... You know the Budweiser frogs. We all know the Budweiser frogs. Of course. Imagine if all of them got pressed into one dog. I think you're going to say pregnant. And but, this okay. dog was radical. Okay, so I, I definitely have confused Spuds McKenzie. I've combined him with... Maybe I vaguely knew that dog with the Rugrats dog with the Target dog with the red Target around Yeah, I think they're all they a similar all... type of dog. A Spud McKenzie. I'll but send- Spuds McKenzie, for all our 80-year-old listeners, is on the mountain. I'm going to send a picture to Spud, uh, to Mike, who I now call <laughs> no, Spuds. Send it to Spuds. <laughs> of Spuds McKenzie in real time, and we could all just see if he made a good decision when he sees the picture. Mike, did you get the text? Oh, it's a uh, not a pit bull, but what are these guys called with the ugly faces that are so cute? Yeah, this is adorable. And it has a Hawaiian <laughs> shirt, so unfortunately he's a proud boy now. And he's, oh, yeah. Man. Oh, there's no way that at, it, if Spuds McKenzie's still alive, he definitely supports the Proud Boys. <laughs> I feel like I'm just getting back to the place where I'm willing to wear any type of a red pattern hat. shirt. <laughs> and now Hawaiian shirts are just gone forever. If you have a polo shirt and it's like yellow, you have to not wear that. Like, oh my god. But as Homer Simpson once said, uh, the Hawaiian shirt is the official shirt of fat people or yes. party animals. Yeah. And <laughs> I think so Spuds true. McKenzie is both. <laughs> all right spuds is on the mountain greg i'm also going to go with a literal animal animal from the muppets uh if there is one muppet that parties and goes hard it is definitely animal from the muppets you don't think rizzo goes nuts when the cameras are off no i think animal only has one gear and it's just shotgunning beers nonstop and then crunching them on his forehead. I think Rizzo is into Kentucky Fried Chicken, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Kentucky. Rizzo's my kind of rat. <laughs> well, he's named after that dirtbag mayor from Philly. Philly, what up? <laughs> Can have to be more specific. 
Uh, we've had so many. Animal, uh, for drama's sake, is drama on the movie pile. All right. I accept that. Oh, <laughs> Ryan, you're up next. Uh, this was hard because when I think about party animals from actual films, like Greg is trying to do right now with the classic <laughs> film character, Animal. Uh, the Muppets, the Muppets take Manhattan. It all ends up sad. Like, the point of <laughs> movies is to be like, hey, remember that person that partied? He died. Fuck you. From so, not partying enough, right? And I don't want to do that. So I'm try- I was trying to think of like party animals. And also, party animal is different than party host. Oh, you know? yeah, for sure. Uh, so so I, you're not going to put the kid whose party it was at 10 Things I Hate About You who thought he was going to have everybody over for what's some his name? bear. Mike, what's his name? <laughs> what is his fucking name? It's a, it's a hard one. This is a hard one. I'm not going to get it. Um, so I'm going to go with who I think is the ultimate film party animal who knows how to throw a party, host, party animal, and also it's not sad. It's just it's just awesome. It's Dr. Frank Inferter. Oh, nice. Not sad at all. No, it's <laughs> fine. I have to say, Ryan, one thing you can do if you find all these movies are too sad, uh, just watch them halfway through. Yes, if that's stop, exactly what you should do. If you stop Boogie Nights at the exact halfway point, <laughs> you have such a hot little romp. Everyone's having a great time. They all have Ooh. wonderful stereos. And then you just like go about your business. <laughs> when it says in Boogie Nights, when it says the 80s, turn it the fuck Dude, off. Dude, you got to go. It's I over. You have the 80s. <laughs> you leave that's the why theater. Greg skipped it musically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we call that the uh, Gravano Titanic VHS tape one only rule. So many times did I watch the first tape of titanic and when this ends with a great irish jig and they sailed into the movie just all happy they go they hit new york they take mike, Rav- mike Ravani, the cool kind of movie watcher who really likes the first half of titanic <laughs> uh mike it's, everybody's the king of the world it's bogey lowenstein of course it is it's a great bogey name. that's my kind of bogues uh dr f is on the maybe pile great. unbelievable okay so um this is not the guy that you think of being a party animal maybe at first, but I think if you look at his oeuvre, uh, <laughs> every movie he's in, they literally cannot end until everybody is partying and he has shouted something out. Rodney Dangerfield, uh, whether it's, <laughs> hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid, um, or time to get drunk, fuckos, uh, all his classic lines at the end of movies. The the 80s music that I would never listen to comes up. People just sort of come in from either side of the screen, and they've all got, like, big hair and tennis skirts on. And, uh, just everyone, the B-52s coming in from the margins Yeah, exactly. They roll in a stage. Suddenly everyone's got, like, red solo cups, and it's just like you, you know that you're being returned to the 80s world, which is a perpetual party. There's also, I mean, there's also an animated film about a party animal named Rover Dangerfield from the people who brought you Rock-A-Doodle-Doo uh, about Whoa. a dog voiced by Rodney Dangerfield who parties. After you've already bought me, brought me Rock-A-Doodle-Doo, I'm so surprised <laughs> if I'm getting anything else out of you ever. Why so was it? you also come with this other movie. Wow. On the poster, it was from the twisted mind of the people who brought you <laughs> Rock-A-Doodle-Doo. We loved Rock-A-Doodle-Doo. In the Gravano household. And me and my older sister knew we were dumb kids, right? But we went the other Disney. We didn't know what its name was, but we knew it was not our fucking Disney. Disney minus. Greg. Rodney Dangerfield's head with, what was the dog's name? Rover. Rover Dangerfield's body. (laughs) 
is on the mountain. So many dogs. I thought we had returned to talking about Spuds McKenzie, and I got excited. You always want to talk about Spuds McKenzie. Ryan, what do you got? Uh, I I mean, I got to get a point at some point. So uh, I think the, <laughs> the ultimate party animal from film is uh, Bluto Blutarski, played by John Belushi from National Lampoon's uh, College Vacation. Uh, I Yeah, I think that this is a... Uh, Oh, and it's it's called Animal House. It's Party Animal. He's a party animal in the Whoa. Animal House. Uh, I mean, just the connections right. are everywhere. <laughs> Ryan. Ryan. Is this the, is this one, the, the one? This is the one. Uh, one of the DJs of the later Manchester scene got to that. Uh, that is the one, and I was shocked that it lasted this long. Uh, but we're not old and weirdly Republican. Uh, the amount of old Republicans who've told me I should fucking like what's that golf movie? Caddyshack, Caddyshack. with Rodney Dangerfield. He's the part. <laughs> it's all right because I'm saved by the bell. Uh, <laughs> your wait, hold on. Can we? I, I have a couple more, Mike. If we could, yeah. Let's let's do HMs. Uh, Raul Duke. I don't want to party with Johnny Depp or Hunter S. Thompson, but I feel like Raul Duke should be mentioned. Mm. Um, the one, the hard one for me is like host versus party animal is Jay Gatsby. I just wish that he owned a house around me so I maybe I could be his party animal. You don't want to party with Nick, <laughs> the sullen arth- author fuck? Cat uh, Stratford from the aforementioned 10 Things I Hate About You. It's not about Bogey Lowenstein. It's about her getting on that table and fucking dancing right. it up. Um, and it does get sad if you keep watching. Russell, yes, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing about these party movies. Russell Hammond from Almost Famous, and then the saxophone player from The Lost Boys. There's a big beach party. <laughs> oh, that oiled up buff the, guy, the fucking greased up saxophone player who <laughs> makes an appearance at the in the last episode of season two of Reservation Dogs. Uh, he should be <laughs> mentioned. He should at least be mentioned. Greg, do you have any HMs? Yes, uh, I already did my musical act, but uh, we couldn't let this segment go by without saying Andrew WK probably has. Uh, more per capita songs about yes. when it's time to party. You've got you have to, to party. party. You but have to party. Hey, his, the thing is, I don't know if he's a party animal. He is a party minister at this point. Okay. He preaches the gospel of partying. And then the only other one I had was a real stretch, Mike. But um, I didn't know when else I'd have Mr. a chance Fantastic. to bring this up. There is an animal, an exceptional animal in this movie that can do things that usually only men can do. Uh, there is actually a duck in this movie that can herd. <laughs> Sheep. Uh, I guess you you yell at the duck, and then the duck herds the sheep. You see it happen as the viewer, so there's no question sure. as to its uh, validity. And uh, this duck has – it's just simply Mike. This duck has got it. Uh, I love this duck, but this duck shows up to work. If we wanted to talk about party animal <laughs> ducks, it is Ziggy Sabaka from season two of The Wires duck. That duck fucking gets shit-faced until it dies on beer and whiskey. Well, what about that is a party animal. Yeah, what about Rick D's hit single Disco Duck? That duck knows how to party. No. You, do, you know not to fucking talk about Rick D's in this house. I apologize. Never, it. <laughs> Never talk about Rick D's. Oh, I just, it tries my nuts. <laughs> D's nuts. Mount Rushmore is LMFAO split two face style between the uncle and the nephew. Yes. One of them's name is Red Foo. I've never learned the other one's name. Uh, Spuds McKenzie, who we all know and love. Rodney Dangerfield with roughly Dangerfield's body. Rover. W- was Rover Dangerfield's <laughs> body. And Bluto from Animal House. Of course, your pop culture party animals. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more 24-hour party people. 
how much is 24-hour party people filmmaking style over filmmaking substance? Is all the fourth wall breaking stuff worth it, or is it too much faffing about? It was, like when I was watching this, I was wondering, and this is not this is our version of second uh, screening, I guess. Is I always have YouTube in my head, uh, Bono with his glasses and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> you didn't want him there. Just one day you woke up and there he was. Look, God nobody damn, wants Apple. him there. Um, and I was thinking, like, is this the it, the the way of this movie? Is how much will people? How long is it until people are like, all right, I want off, and the movie doesn't let you? You know, like, is that whether you like the movie or not? Is just how, how long until you like pull that bus rope? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it. I felt like it kind of flexed in and out of working, but ultimately, in the end, I just wasn't sure that the movie did enough with it to justify really what is a kind of abrupt thing, which is to have someone like addressing what's going on in the movie itself. Sometimes it played really well. It was fun when he went through like the flash of like all the different people from the scene that like you had actually seen in the back of of different parts like doing know, the all... googling for you. Yeah, right, right. exactly. And that was kind of neat and but a lot of times when he's like actively analyzing the movie while you're watching it, it's such a strong move or like such a big move and I just don't know that it always absolutely it- justified itself. It is a big move. I don't know if it's a strong move. It, it reminded me of when we were watching Disney Plus's Marvel's She-Hulk. And yeah. we're like, hey, you're pretty funny on your own. And then you look at the camera and go, and this is what everybody's going to love? And, and then for that to be the worst part. And, and kills the momentum. And maybe it's not 24-hour party people's fault that we were watching this 20 years later. But like... Even at 2002, meta wasn't that new anymore. And it's still, it felt like they're going to love that the real Buzzcock is in this bathroom right now saying he doesn't remember that that happened. See, that's the thing that I totally disagree with is that like there was this, I don't know, like anarchy and energy throughout the whole movie that I think that these guys think that they're clever for sure. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like the memification of current movies was happening like that was in their mind of like this is gonna be so dope this is gonna get so many like impact letters written on it and screenshots on reddit i feel like this was like genuinely there's only one way that we if we are charged and we have charged ourselves to tell this story there's only one way we can do it and it's just to be as it about it and as us about it at the same time and i didn't feel that that like jerky offiness that mm. i feel if like this if this movie was made today if I, I think it's you know how there's no way tar is a pretentious movie because it's about pretentious people and so yeah. maybe this is about shitty people so there's times that it's a shitty movie uh pretentious in their own way like up their own butts and loving it like yeah i was not, wondering that about this tony I mean, wilson cat like if we knew more about him would it be like well yeah there's no way i mean well, the character in the movie seems enough like this right that there's no way he would be a part of it without it being like meta textual like we know so much about real world person lydia tar <laughs> another movie about a real like this is going to lead into a 12 minute tangent i would <laughs> tread carefully here uh, but every time back. you do something like this i mean you are addressing literally the audience in such a way that it makes the whole enterprise stop for a little bit. And you're like, oh yeah, there are layers of artifice here and I'm watching a movie. And I just, it's such a bold choice to do it. You have to make sure that you have a real 
a definite point that makes it worthwhile. But there's a movie that like I I kept coming back to while watching this, and a, a moody a movie of the year movie that we've talked about that I kept coming back to that gave me the same feeling, which is Holy Grail. And it's not because of the insane right. accents. Like, why do they keep saying words that way? Just say normal. <laughs> just say, just pronounce Speak your R's English. in the correct way. Speak English. Uh, but like, it's not just the skitness of the 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 skitty nature of the movie, Greg, that you've been referencing the whole time. Of like, oh, it's not. We're not transferring to a new scene. This is a new skit that I'm yeah. watching, and I have to reassess myself and reground myself. But it's also there is a batting average thing that you have to deal with. I, I think if it was leaned more Python and the, 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 the parts that I could have used more of this style of absurdism is the pigeon point of view and Steve Coogan is God, Steve Coogan is Tony Wilson talking to each other. That kind of stuff was like, yeah, you were firing, but Coogan is so good off the cuff and makes dialogue not feel written. So when he would turn to the camera, I'm like, look, Everybody knows I'm a teleprompter pro, and it felt like he was reading <laughs> off of those for the first time when he looked right at that camera. It, it felt so off rhythm from his normal bat da bat da bat da bat that it, it took me out of it. it uh, and ultimately, what can you say to that? Right, like it, if it took you out of it, it took you out of it, and that's that's the movie's fault, and I can't argue with it. But the mm-hmm. reason that I stayed with it is one, I think a couple reasons. One, so many terrible biopics doing the exact same thing. And just being, it, just the refreshingness nature of it, where like the all the movies that came before it and after it seemed dumb. For this two hours of watching this movie, everything else seemed dumb. And it's because of the talent involved with the creators. Right. But then also the, it's not just the, uh, the Winterbottom and the Coogan of it all trying to sound smart, but also like the topic. If this was about jazz, the movie would have been different. But it, it's about people that are quote-unquote geniuses that movie is thrown around a lot or that word is thrown around a lot in this movie that i i don't know we'll talk about that later but like the abruptness of the music and how albums the way that these albums work are not biopics of the artist but quick bursts of their feelings and it all just sort of blended to me if you just sort of glance at it instead of if if punk is all like Ken Rock, Burns Rock and everything coming up before is stupid. Post-punk is like all of that angsty teenageness bullshit is stupid. There's a post-punk uh, oral biography book called uh, Burn It Down and Start Again. Exactly. And so the, the, the genre is commenting on everything that's going on. So how could the movie not comment on everything that's going Exa- on? Exactly. So the way that I watched it was not like I want to make a comedy and show off how funny and clever and meta I am. But instead, I want to make a documentary. I don't have the fucking footage. So what mm. I'm going to do is I'm going to make the documentary and unfortunately or fortunately, depending on, on the audience, Coogan and Winterbottom's uh, tendencies and tones are going to seep in there. And I, I I mean, it does seem like it's keeping with the kind of person that Tony Wilson probably is, but I'm only accessing that through the movie itself. Unless I guess you've seen Alan Partridge. Because this is so close to his character of Alan Partridge, Yeah, Steve Coogan based Alan Partridge on Tony Wilson. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was that deep. I thought they were similar, but I didn't realize it was that that character actually comes from it. I've also heard that many people say Steve Coogan just kind of is Alan Partridge. Yeah, and Steve Coogan (laughs) kind of is Tony Wilson. And Steve Coogan is like, you know, like we talk about 
not Will Ferrell, right? We all know he's like a nice guy, but like people like Ricky Gervais or mm. there's like comedians who are like, you only act like that so you can act like that, right? Like your yeah, persona right. is just barely covering up what a piece of shit you are. And Steve Coogan absolutely has that. Uh, seemingly more self-aware. So you know what movie's underrated? Hamlet 2. I fucking love <laughs> Hamlet 2. But see, Hamlet 2 is, I think, the like the American version of this. I right. think that like we're we're missing all of that. It's not the meta-ness. I'd like the meta-ness is clever, but it's the it's the undercutting of emotion and expectations that I feel like the they're they across the pond, as we say, are just a little bit better and quicker at than we are. Yeah, I guess part of it, Ryan, is it's maybe not been done that much in film, but this, this, all these ideas had been explored a lot in like books and plays, and so it kind of felt like the junior league version of all of this, and it felt like we will just talk about metatextuality, and that will be the way that we address the subject of metatextuality. And I just don't know that, like, they did it in a in a very clever way always i do think there were moments from it that were funny i mean like i did like the moment where he references back to how he had told you how to interpret the hang gliding scene and he's like keep that in mind you you, you might use that for this as well um but and, like so like it's not that it was without joy i think they and just the got f- that, that and the fact that, that that first scene the hang gliding scene was clipped of steve coogan and the real tony wilson segment that he filmed for his like the constantly blending you won't know what's real fuck you started right away i mean and that is an aspect of like the whole like well that's kind of cool that like yeah. that fe- that thing that i said a million times throughout this movie that that does add up i think this movie got yeah, fucked <laughs> this movie got fucked by uh you know uh greg watching it as somebody who was like very literary and then also had no idea about this music scene it was just like <laughs> just Three strikes and you're out, movie. It is a weird split of, uh, Ryan, I assume you're in the middle. You're in the middle of the Venn diagram. You know a little bit about all of it. Greg is fully into all the literary references. Mike is fully into all the 80s new wave references. And it, So are we actually the three perfect people to talk about this? There you go. Do you know what their next movie after this was? Is it no. those trip movies? No. There was a movie in between then. Oh, We're, shit, is it Tristram Shandy? We should maybe save it for recommendations. Oh, okay. For <laughs> my okay, Everybody shut the fuck up. I could just keep guessing. <laughs> No, but it's, you know, it's like Tristram Shandy. Pirate Radio? I do have to say, like, I don't know how smart Tony Wilson is. Steve Coogan, that guy is the kind of smart I wish I really were. That guy is so, like, conversant and off the top of his head can just, like, quote poetry. And, like, I feel like they, like, I, I don't know how much that is Tony Wilson, but that is 100% the vibe I get off the Coog. I mean, do you know how hard it is to uh, be... A terrible version of you, but only terrible by, by like ten percent, and still be like clever and funny. Like that's hard to do. I try it every week on this podcast. Only I think it's a generational talent. Like Lena Dunham, she's the only person I can think of who's done it. I think Lena Dunham's characters are ten percent better than she is. In real life. <laughs> she is the voice of our generation. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back do a segment that's near and dear to my heart that we have not done for oh so long. Descripto the Magnificent. It feels like it has been literally years since we've talked to, I call him the fourth Beatle of movie of the year, our good friend, Descripto the Magnificent. 
He loves movies so much, or at least he reviews so many movies in I, such yeah, interesting ways. I think he ways. might hate movies. <laughs> or do you remember the early aughts when every pop culture review site hated the shit that they had to watch? All movies must uh, die in a fire. Why? Just stop watching movies, kids. It's just a bunch of jazz fans. From jazz friends to precious. I don't know what either of you said there. (laughs) I was talking about jazz fans uh, based on a novel by Sapphire. (laughs) Oh, Ryan, you blowhard. Ryan. Sorry, Descripto. Or no, what's this one? Drop pad. We have so many robot friends. (laughs) Wait, is Descripto a robot? I don't. He might oh, be a 1910s magician. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought too. I thought he's like an escape artist who gets grumpy about movies. Well, as we know, I will read Descripto's reviews of movies, and then you have to guess what movie from 2002 this is. Is this a ring in one, folks? Or yeah. is this a just okay? Ring in. Say your name. Say the movie. Just like the New York PD says in the subways. No, like this is a really, really hard segment that in history has uh, been difficult for us. Um, if we like, let's say me and Greg give a guess and we get yes. both get it wrong, could you give like a hint after yes. that, or should we just hinty. move on? Okay, I, but, I love hinties. Little hinty poo, little uh, hinty more. Hinties for my hunties. This is a fast action movie which hinge, and you know what? I'm going to say this: all typos will be read as Descripto originally wrote them. This is a fast action movie which hinge on the implausible, realizing that we can look at the movies with a great suspension of belief. Of course, there is some debate over which kiss was better, but I prefer the one in a two at the end. It is one of the greatest film kisses in the history of film. It is every lonely man's dream to have a good woman kiss him and tell him to go get him. The bad guy in the first one and the bad guy in the second one are suitably nasty. Of course, we have to realize that the actor who was nasty in the first one started his career as Jesus Christ and King of Kings. What a contrast for them to make from one actor's career. But this is a very good film and worth your time to watch. Sit back and open your soda. Put the bowl of popcorn on the table and get comfortable. You're in for a real good time with your feet up on the coffee table. You won't fall asleep. Five out of five. Ryan. Greg. Ryan. Uh, did you switch King of Kings? No. They say not last time. It's Spider-Man? Ryan. It is Spider-Man. He was in Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. No, but they said King of Kings. Yeah. No, no. I, I, I thought you might have changed it to make it more difficult for us. but that's... When I said the bad guy and the bad guy, some things will be switched. But no, no, no. They said King of Kings. And I went, I don't think that's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Descripto perfection nothing can compare to this movie the casting is god tier the writing is hilarious and stays relatively true to the original source material this movie is fun and stands up several years later and will continue to do so for many years to come five stars oh descripto he's so like hmm. hot and cold greg greg it's the funny end source material. Uh, is it? Um, is it Minority Report? <laughs> <laughs> no. 
There's some funny parts in that, Mike. There are some funny parts. Uh, Not all of these movies are movies we are covering, but they are all 2002. Oh, yeah. The descriptor reviews everything. Everything. Uh, Ryan. Ryan. Uh, Bring It On. No, Bring It On would have been one of our movies if it was from this year. I don't think there's source material. Uh, What do you mean? The script? Uh, Did they not shoot us the script is source so everything's adapted right uh this is um what is a good hint when they started to make this movie it was going to be for adults and then in the editing room it became for kids close to the source material i i don't know new hint. i don't know either scooby-doo God tier casting, five stars. God tier casting. <laughs> it had Matthew Next. Lillard, Mike. It had Matthew Lillard. <clears throat> Next movie. I do not recommend this movie to anyone who does not enjoy watching gore, violent scenes. I had expected it to be more like a thriller with interesting plot and excitement, but it is much more violent than that. It is just killing after killing. People are killed like mice. I felt very sick after watching this. It took days to receive her. I think they meant recover. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thus, keep that in mind. One out of five stars. Ryan. Greg. Gangs in New York? No, though I think that based on that description, that's a good guess. The Born Ultimatum. Or no, The Born Identity. Okay, good correction there, buddy. Because The Born Ultimatum came out a few years later. It is The Born Identity. Okay, people, wait, what's the people killed like mice part? There's barely oh, any know. deaths in that movie. Yeah. Are hey, Descripto, you're like a fucking mice. idiot. <laughs> what a fucking hack, dude. Let me tell you, when Descripto was uh, just telling me what they thought about movies, I was rolling on the floor. <laughs> <clears throat> Great acting. <laughs> great <Terrible> acting <laughs> great acting <laughs> terrible movie imagine if a 16 year old minecraft player wrote a military movie but used his 16 year old minecraft vocabulary that's how i felt watching this movie a reverend who used no dialogue from a bible a baseball player who knew nothing about baseball a cop who knew nothing about policing that is what you get watching this movie my biggest takeaway from this movie was why did these actors choose to do this? Maybe they owned someone in Hollywood a favor? Two stars. Ryan. Ryan? This feels like it should be obvious, but based on the gangs that you talked about, gangs of reverends, I'm going to say the Warriors, gangs of baseball players. <laughs> From the 1980s? Uh-huh. No. Uh, I, I want, uh, oh, hint. Ryan. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> no, Greg can go. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to have a really dumb one. Uh, Greg, catch Greg. me if you can. No. Uh, <laughs> Ahen, we we are not covering this movie. And the director came out with a movie about a month ago in real time. Greg, are you cheating? Are you looking at... Oh, Ryan. I got it. Ryan. Signs. Ryan. It is signs. I don't There's remember a... a cop in this movie at all. There's a baseball player in signs? Yeah, they Joaquin hit him with a bat. Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix is a like former triple a baseball player which is hard dude because like how can you pitch a strike to this guy he's always walking oh Uh, this movie is one long journey to absolute nothingness (laughs) sometimes my favorite parts in movies are the quiet ones 
Movies with great moments of silence are great if they're necessary. Unfortunately, while I appreciated the quiet introspection, I could not tolerate a whole movie like that. I will say it has our has a great opening. One that makes you wonder. The rest is just dot 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 boring. I appreciated nothing else and found it empty. Nothing was gained or lost or learned. I can't recommend this to anyone unless you have to see every movie ever made. Two out of five stars. <laughs> Two out of five Oh, I, the only way that I can recommend this movie is if you have to see every movie ever made. Uh, Ryan. Ryan. Insomnia? No. You guys remember that movie, though? I do. Loved that movie. Greg. Greg? The Transporter. <laughs> no, I, no oh, not The Transporter. Uh, we Ryan. have not done this yet, but we will. Ryan? Oh. Uh, 25th Hour. No. Qu- it is Marvin Collar. Oh. I love when ah. that, that movie uh, makes an appearance on the show. <laughs> We're going to do it someday. The book was okay, but Chris Columbus wrecked it, especially with the corny spider scene. The actors were Shit. mainly pretty wooden, especially the main guy, who said his lines with no emotion, nothing to make it believable. The last one was made watchable only by Coltrane, but in this one, he plays a much smaller role. The comic relief void left by his absence is filled by Kenneth Branagh, who gives a fine performance as the main guy's new teacher, but nothing is special. Finally, the worst thing about this film is the ending. A scene where everybody at the school is happy, and the big guy comes and gives them all a big hug. This sickly sweet scene is not in the book. If you must have this, then save some money and rent it. One star. Ryan. Ryan. Harry Potter. And the Chamber of Secrets. Ryan. (laughs) (sighs) I forgot that Chris Columbus directed that. Yeah, right to the first two that nobody likes. The only culture I know is John, so I do not know what this descriptor is talking about. Yeah, that threw me off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This one short one. Perfect. Four out of five stars. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan. Greg, the transporter. <laughs> I love your enthusiasm for the transporter. It is not the transporter. Ryan. Ryan. Project X. I think that was like 2015. Yeah, it's just party animals, you know. I'm like, it's in my head. It's it's not connected to that. Uh, here's a hint. The scripter reviewed this movie twice tonight. We've talked about their first one already. Whoa, Ryan. Ryan. The born identity. No, Greg, you get one last chance. Harry Potter and the <laughs> Chamber of Secrets. It's Spider-Man, but perfect four out of five stars is the most golden thing Descripto has ever done. Okay, so he gave a movie that you should only see if it's you're engaged in a project of seeing every movie ever made. Which we all are. Two stars. And then the <laughs> perfect movie, he gives four stars. It's rough. Descripto's it's- crazy for that one. No, Descripto's a fucking nut. <laughs> we have a couple quickish ones. Not being a big fan of the star, I wasn't sure how much I'd enjoy this movie. It did better than expected. It only gets three stars because it is graphic at moments that seem to be more for shock value than actual plot mechanism. And the ending is fun, but it drags a bit in the middle. 
I'm not sure I would buy it again, but that has more to do with my particular taste in movies than having anything against this film. Descripto, why would you buy anything again? <laughs> again. <laughs> Definitely enthralled overall. Three stars. Greg. Greg. Gangs of New York. I thought you were going to say The Transporter. The Transporter. No. <laughs> it is neither of those. Ryan. Ryan. Unfaithful. It is not unfaithful. We have not covered this movie, nor will we. But a young Mike owned this on DVD and watched the special features often. Greg. Greg. The Transporter. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, made Mike life. Ryan. Ryan. Uh, undeclared season one. Oh, that is a just knowing Mike point, but it's not this. It is Eight Mile. <laughs> the first movie is great and funny, but sometimes it would be more weird than funny. It was a very funny film with themselves getting hurt, but mostly it would look more dumb than funny. And let's be <laughs> honest, most of the stunts were greatly funny. Overall, I think it would be the best at the franchise. Four stars. Ryan. Ryan. Is it Jackass the movie? Right. <laughs> it's Jackass the movie. <laughs> what How an incredibly written paragraph to Scripto. <laughs> Our I last one. Does he find it funny or not? That's one of the funniest <laughs> movies ever made. Our final feature. This is unanimously the best movie ever created. A review by a single person. Five out of five stars. <laughs> Greg. Greg. Transporter. <laughs> No, but not far off from the transporter. Ryan. Ryan. The Pianist. It is not The Pianist. That's the we closest movie to The Transporter I can think of. We have covered it. Descripto covered it earlier tonight. Greg. Greg. Spider-Man. <laughs> it's not Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Give me a hint. Uh, There's f- six of these. Uh, Ryan. Ryan. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Oh, my God. There's eight of those. Uh, It is Born Identity. But this is unanimously the best movie ever created. (laughs) It's the funniest fucking thing (laughs) one person could decide. (laughs) And that is how you hang out the scripto, the magnificent. We'll take the quickest of breaks. Thank you. And when we come back, we're talking about Coogan and Wilson. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Taste Buds, let's talk about Coogan and Wilson. Towards the end, Wilson says, 
I'm a minor character in my own story. This movie isn't about me. It's about the music. But is it? What is Winterbottom doing by putting Tony Wilson and Steve Coogan, who played Alan Partridge, who's a bit like Tony Wilson, as we said before, at the center of this movie? I, I, I mean, I think ultimately, like, number one, as we've talked about, uh, with the deflation, the inflation of what they want and the deflation of what they don't, getting away from this biopic that they didn't even know at the time would completely overtake the Oscars and the box office. Like, these movies do really well. Um, as if nobody right. saw this movie. Yeah, isn't this earlier than all the things we point to to make fun of biopics? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's That's stuff crazy. like Coal Miner's Daughter, you know, like came out Velvet be- before this movie. Goldmine? Yeah, was about that's this like time. That's like a faux biopic, right? But right. its progenitors would be more like documentaries, right? I mean, that's what this like really kind of harkens back to is not other. And that's why I think why the, right. the idea came is like we don't have footage of the things that we want to do. Or we, like all we could do is like a Talking Heads, not Talking Heads, the band documentary. But like all we could do is a Talking Heads thing of the people of the 42 people who were at the Sex Pistols thing because we just don't have the footage to make a movie about it. Let's make a movie about it anyway. And I have to say, like, even if it's only within the world of this movie and not based on reality, which I don't even care about. Like, I don't care about the real story for any of this. Um, it's not my bag anyway. Right. So the movie is like way more important to me than <laughs> that it be that it yeah. be accurate in any way. Just that it be a, a good, interesting movie. But the way it's presented, like, Tony Wilson is so often the butt of the jokes because he's such a phony and he's such a like a self promoter. But by the court, by the end of the movie, he's revealed to like still have that ultimate punk rock ethos, which is like, no, dude, like we don't have a contract. Like I always knew that it would probably just right. all fall apart, and now that it is, I'm not even that bad out of shape, dude. I don't is even it, actually care. <laughs> it's so interesting because at the time you're like, oh man, that is punk rock, but it's partially well, he is an idiot then, and then it's still he wanted the cultural cachet. He, he never wanted, wanted to be money. Part, he at least presented in the movie. He wanted to be part of the new wave of art. He wanted right. to be the per like if you know that you are not Yates, you want to be the person that like discovers, promotes, and encourages right. Yates because you want to be there at, at the birth of a new renaissance. Which is why you say your junkie idiot worst singer of all your bands is better than you. But I mean, like he is straight up Tony as portrayed by Coogan is straight up saying the entire movie. He's very proud of the fact that there's no contracts, right? There's this, yeah, right. there's this blood signed thing that says I will never uh, sell out. Oh, by the way, every right. dime that new order made go to pay for the hot, went to pay for the hacienda, the hacienda. that was just hemorrhaging money. And I, I think we that, didn't just fuck over ourselves. We fucked over this very yeah, talented a, band as well. Thank you very much. But like he was doing no artistic work. He was just standing there trying to be slightly better dressed than everybody else in the room. The other and I, doing I, he wasn't doing artistic work or business work. <laughs> that <laughs> that scene I think that you guys are talking about is so prophetic too, to what we're doing here uh, or like today. All of these stories from the dot com boom, which happened at about the same time, all the way up till it's like today with like things like the fire fest of just like. Oh, I'll buy Firefest, Crypto, SVB, the bank that just went under. I'll buy your uh, company. How much would it cost? Or what? What do I get for five million dollars? And like, oh, it's nothing. We have we have literally right. nothing. We 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 have nothing to give to you. We this was an. Exp- There's not even vocals on this song. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's not a company. 
it's an experiment in like human uh behavior that's how he says it and the guy like starts looking around that uh, put the five million dollars on the table like are you are you fucking serious and tony doesn't bat an eye he's like yeah that was think of me as an idiot all you want but like this was my intention the entire time there's nothing to sell but also it's not that there's nothing to sell there's nothing for tony and factory records who's been hemorrhaging money to sell the guy says it then Oh, I can just go directly to the bands. Right, I can. That just... guy still has stuff to buy, and like he's gonna move on and like leave Wilson in the dust. I I love the fucking name, which is at of the of the uh, record recording company because at one point it's copying Andy Warhol. He used the term factory, so we should as well. Mm. And then also, it's the least like a factory of anything in the history right. of time. <laughs> there, there's that part where like they come in and. Um... Andy Serkis's uh, character is just trying to get them just to record anything, and they're just sitting <laughs> around laughing about how they're not doing it. <laughs> like this blue, or uh, what are they? Happy Monday band. Like apparently, it was just impossible to get them to ever do any work. They anything. would sell their clothes for drugs before Which, recording an album. And I know we're supposed to be talking about Coogan here, but uh, the idea that instead of going through all of the beats of how a band goes from like really artistically determined and small to like big and full of drugs doesn't happen with the main character, but does with the bands that he is covering. So Joy Division right. is like where all biopics start out. And then he decides to go to Happy Mondays at the end. And they're the big bloated drugged out band. So but they get, they're like that immediately. Yeah. No, you should have stayed the fuck <laughs> away from them, dude. Like, they seem they are the villain of not just the movie but like art <laughs> and rock and everything that right. i hold dear is it is it, it maybe it's andy circus it, but somebody it's when they're just playing and it's like steel drums and horse shit and people are like do not go with this band yeah. they i i want to learn so much more about so many of the bands that are in this movie i am so glad and tony wilson style arrogantly proud of the fact that i know dick all about the Happy Mondays. This is the horse shittiest of horse shit music. And I mean, look at how many scenes there are with Joy Division on stage with, with, uh -huh. with Happy Endings, as opposed to Happy Endings, where <laughs> happy there's endings. like a. a <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Check uh, out Happy Endings, everybody. I think they're I a mean, it's a Great three seasons. <laughs> um, where Happy Mondays is on stage, and there's like a real shot of them wheeling each other out in shopping carts. These motherfuckers uh -huh. love shopping carts, but most of it is in the bus. That's what matters at that point to Tony, right. to the band, to music. It's in the bus. I do have to say, if well, we could return to the Coog for just a moment, um, if we must. Is he a really like? I, I know this is a, a common way of phrasing things, but is he a very underappreciated comedic actor? And I. I guess what I'm really getting at is like, is he one of our greatest comedic actors, but like we don't treat him that way right. or something? I think he developed this thing that became very popular, which is I am going to be such a fucking prick, <laughs> but clever. Like I'm so above you, um, but I'm doing it in such a clever way where like you're like pointing out, oh, I know people like that. Like he is, he is mocking the people right. that are that much above you. That we're putting aside the fact that he actually acts like that in real life, and just <laughs> right. we're we're just focusing on the fact that he figured that out to a T, how to do we that would not on have, screen. Uh, David Brent, right? From the British Office, Michael Scott from the American Office, 
most of Will Ferrell's characters. I mean, like even Conan O'Brien feels like the blueprint. Just Conan O'Brien is a human being. Like, yeah, I mean, like this is like this is the way that like it's become funny to present yourself is just to be like to comically uh, sit in your tower and point down mm. at people below you comically. But guys, remember, it's co- I'm doing it as a joke. And that's just, to, of course, to get it off his chest because he wants to do it in real life. But it works. I like. Also, I, there's something about how how high Coogan's tower is. Like, mm-hmm. he's not just very funny, and it's, he's not just very smart. He's like a perfect combination of very smart, very quick, and very funny. Him walking through that alleyway of uh, just like, I went to Ox... Like, what school did you go to? Oxnard. Is that where he went? Uh, it was, uh, no, Oxnard he, is no, that shitty. I went to Cambridge. I, I, like, I majored in journalism. Uh, I'm a professional journalist. And it cuts to him like with a little person. Um... <laughs> like circus like working in a circus tra- training but like he will he just wants everybody to know he wants everybody to think of him as he thinks of himself and that's it's that's so the funny bit that, it's so funny I, that he kept his like reporter job while yeah. he did all this <laughs> yes. other stuff the like interstitial things where he's standing next to an elephant or just like the whole all the presenter stuff at the to think of this guy here is someone whose self-conception is that he has never sold out and now he's basically doing a commercial for the circus on the local news. The Andy Circus. And then, uh, like, that that will be in, un, uh, undercut with somebody right. who, like, he gets to the venue and somebody else's name right. is Tony. Yes. And, right. Like, he's like, out. well, how are we going to work this if my name is Tony and his name is Tony? How could that be a... That's that's so cool. I, I just... I found it very unrelatable to have gone to such a prestigious college that starts with a C and then have a clown's job. And try to act like you're still above everybody else. I, I don't know how to relate to that at all. Mike. I don't have a mic button on here. <laughs> I'll have to poke myself in the tummy. But. No butts. No coconuts? No butts, no nuts, no coconuts. Ryan, I'll allow a butt. I just, I, I want to say, like, there's, this movie would have been fucking terrible. Yes. If there was, like, a. A minus version of Steve Coogan in it, you know. Like, yes. I'm so sorry I did not bow down to the air horn, and I can't believe I'm even making this point right now. But, uh, like the fact that like his disgusting charm is what propels this movie, I think, into greatness. I would vote for him for a U.S. president with his disgusting <laughs> charm. Speed round. Does this movie intend for its audience to basically know the history of this time? And if you don't, are you a little lost? Yes? Uh, so much shit went over my head, and I think you just have to be okay with it. You know, it's like uh, you're watching a Marvel movie, and right. you don't know anything about Marvel, and you're just like, oh, that was probably Stan Lee. Who is Andy Serkis supposed to be right now? The, the, but the, the, and I know I, I harped on this a little bit, but the, it's just how jarring sometimes the jumps in time are. And it's like, it feels like, well, you know what happened next. And it's like, nah, dude, I don't. Like, I'm confused as to where we are right now. You know what, then? Like, uh, I said earlier, it's a a lot of this movie and your appreciation for it is when you pull the bus string and say, like, I want to get off. A lot of it Mm. is when you get on. And, you know, like, at a certain point, you just have to be like, all right, I'm just in it for the ride. And whatever happens, happens. And that's the thing. I mean, I, I loved each individual scene. I just felt more than, it's not like even a judgment thing. I just felt lost. And isn't. This like the perfect party movie, not just because of its name, but you put it on and you're like, you sit down for five minutes, you're like, fuck yeah, that was great. And you walk around and talk to somebody about their boring fucking job and their boring fucking irrigation. And then you walk back and go, that scene's cool too. Especially it, if you like the music. If, if you, you like the music, this, then for sure. If you start this movie 
December 31st, right at midnight. Then right as it becomes New Year's, the movie will just be ending. And it will be synced to Wizard of Oz, which is crazy. Uh, This, I have to say, and I never do this. This question was written by a producer, not by me, because it is going against everything I believe. (laughs) Is the beginning of this movie at all tainted by how garbage all punk is? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I have to agree with the sentiment behind that question. Um, every time right. someone is like, all right, and then like the, the Sex Pistols thing, dude, could that have sounded trashier? That is just like the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. As an appreciator of new things and just like uh, human beings, I thought it was great, but <laughs> I guess right. I'm different. Is Tony Wilson shown to at once be the world's biggest phony and also somehow the biggest punk of all time? And does that make him the perfect emblem for punk rock? You just made me think of something, Mike. Is this Catcher in the Rye part two? <laughs> right. Everybody's a fucking phony. I mean, the buying that table, I think, is like the perfectly yeah. describes oh, God. his character. It costs thirty thousand dollars. It looks awful. It just looks like right. a piece of shit. It's not very functional. It's not very sturdy. You can't lean on it. Uh, to, a, to a future king. It... Go Ryan. To a future king of dragons or something who gets leprosy, <laughs> uh, just always beating the shit out of people, and for him to tackle him after he hears about the table, <laughs> per- that's that's the only reaction. I like how that just becomes his business strategy after a while. Like, if we have a meeting and you say something upsetting, I'm just going to attack you with violence. Future king of dragons? Who is that actor? He's, He's the guy from, from uh, Game of Thrones. The new Game of Thrones. The one you hate so much. Even though it's on oh. your TV station. He's, He's the guy who's leprosying? Yeah. Yeah, the king hey. that, like, is dying the entire time but just won't fucking die. Rupert Murdoch's texts and emails have shown that you can fucking make money off of something you hate. All right, guys, oh. so stop hating on me. What a cool role model. Yeah, we'll stop hating on you because you're basing your life after Rupert Murdoch. You can go suck a fuck. That's a, that's a good point. That's what me and Rupert have to say. How well does the movie balance its comedic tones? Does this have enough laugh-at-loud moments to get through, or the lighter moments shift too much in feel? There's some weird stuff, but I think overall, like, if you're going to do something... Like, we talked about before with, like, this the batting average of a skit movie. I think that it does a really good job. There's some stuff that I can't believe was included where he's talking to a 109-year-old man about building, like, digging ditches in 1900. What do you remember from 1900? Not much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I don't think we can use any of this. They used all of it. (laughs) He's barely standing. (laughs) Overall, I think Honestly, like, uh, the humor was seemed like front and center to me it seemed like mm. um and that is you know that's part of like the postmodern, right like it's like it's always going to be a joke and it's always going to be like the carnival uh feel to it <laughs> but i it, i didn't find it jarring at all i found it to be like it felt like the point do you know what honestly this is me being old um what i found jarring was the opening and closing credits like i don't i don't want to wear sunglasses while i'm watching a movie please <laughs> tone down the flashiness Ryan. Just for admitting how fucking old and lame you are. You get that point. Uh, here's another one that I don't stand behind. The producers made me say this. Would these bands have been better if they looked into music? Like what it is and how it works? <laughs> Maybe just, you know, just like go to your local library and just be like, hey, do you have any books on music theory or how to make it sound like I know how this guitar works? Just like, that's just an idea. I'm just spitballing. Like, you should maybe, if you have like the impetus to go stand in front of people and clang around on your guitars, maybe like learn how they work or something. Is Greg the polite Andy Circus? 
<laughs> yeah, hey, that is his new name. And ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for the polite Andy Serkis. There's, there's a point where Joy Division is trying to record, and the guy is playing guitar, and he's not good at it, and Andy Serkis is freaking out. Yeah, or there's that part, like, and we've all been, I'm sure everybody has, has recorded at least one song, uh, <laughs> and there's always serious music person, and serious music person is just always having the worst time, because nobody else knows what they're doing, and serious music person hears every like error <laughs> and but like it's like helpless to stand against the absolute tide of them uh long-term pop filter co listeners will know that serious music person as josh <laughs> from years ago on nutflex <laughs> tony has a problem when another person he's working with is named tony <laughs> would we let anybody named mike ryan or greg on this show <laughs> i think greg yeah i would let a greg Oh, One more you would have, they'd be like double G. It wouldn't be. It'd be like OG Greg. You know what I would do like if if, cool I, if we had another Greg on the show? Real easy. I just become Greg number two. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? No big deal. No fuss. No muss. Based Greg on two, maybe just Deuce for short. Based on how Greg's work, there's no way we would even notice that he's on the show. <laughs> he, in the background, we would just hear <gasps> while he tried to talk, but that's it. Uh, this kind of stuff breaks my brain enough that uh, I dated a girl years ago with a name, and then another girl was heavily flirting with me all night at a party, and a friend was like, you should get with her. And I was like, I dated a girl with that name. I can't, I cannot do this. And it was uh, Greg? Freak me out too much. And it was a girl named Greg. That is a way, this is a way that I noticed watching the movie that Mike is like Tony Wilson. Mike <laughs> is popular with the ladies. And I have to say, when there's a movie character who's popular with the ladies, again, this might just be totally based on the fact that Tony Wilson wanted the, it, this to be the case in the movie. But, like, in the background, he'll be walking through a, a setting, and the women in the background will just be like, Hey, Tony! <laughs> Greg. That is like my life. Yeah, way to get points, Greg. I'm just Should saying. white people just buckle down and learn how to dance? Yeah, uh, dude, there's a problem. Why happy, don't, like, happy Mondays gave a guy ecstasy to come on the stage called Bez and just dance for them, which I thought the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones created, but apparently right? it, it was the Happy Mondays. I that love man that they would gave go him... on to skank with the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. I love that they gave him maracas, but then they're not mic'd at all. So it's like he actually <laughs> has an instrument, but it's not actually like being part of the mix in any way. And then the I cannot relate to a band putting you on stage and then turning your instruments off at all. I don't know how to relate to that moment at all. But the Joy Division guy, like, he's got one move, and it's like, just pump your arms. Seizure. I love that move. Up no, he down. was the best dancer in the whole movie. Uh, and then most of the other dancing is just white people hopping. Like, literally just jumping and up. They get excited Pogo and they just jump wing, around. Greg. And it's performative. It's not even like, I feel the music. It's like, well, I guess I'll jump up and down now. Yeah, it's not to the it, rhythm or anything like that. It was good until it got to the Happy Mondays, Madchester bullshit era. Then it's all horseshit. But I stand behind Pogos. <laughs> New Order is better than Joy Division. Sorry. Last question. <laughs> I have to agree, Mike. One thing just, we didn't really get into was uh, the movie kind of brings up the idea right. that that's like a like a fascist name, and then they show fascists, they show people throwing like the Nazi salute in the crowd, 
But then I guess they fight them, so that's supposed to be the resolution of that. That's them saying, yeah. we don't like that stuff. Okay. And also, I think we're supposed to think that they came because they were like, Joy Division. We remember that from what the... We're so good at history. Nazis did, because <laughs> we've studied Nazis so much. Wait, this band is not for us. I learned that fact tonight while I watched that movie during this podcast. Oh, that's something I had I no knew. idea that was... I knew it from the day I was born. Greg. Does that feel good, Ryan? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're the regular bender from the Breakfast Club on this show. You're going to get the horns, bull. We are going to take the quickest of breaks, and when we come back, it's award season. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for Ryan to draw you a picture. Uh, I can write you a poem. You can get the shirts off our very own backs. All of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp. He's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, you can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Can you gentlemen believe that this was not nominated for any Oscars? Yeah, I think it made like $20,000 at the box office. I think. <laughs> I don't think this was a huge movie at the time. That does sound like it was nominated for a Palme d'Or. That's right. not even a... You can't at even get column. that table. What do you mean? Like, the table from the movie cost $30,000. <laughs> so this didn't yes. make one table. Uh, also, this it was supposed to look like it was hung. Right. This this table that they have at the end, right, when he brought the factory offices. It was supposed to look like it was uh, hung from the roof or the ceiling. But also it had really? legs. It also had legs. Yeah, so yeah, like, what the it. fuck is this the table? Hung from the, I did not get the hung from the. Well, it had like thing. the giant. It had wires. Yeah, wires. The Buzzcocks that... guy actually like tears one of them out of the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, dude. Because he's pissed. Well, despite its lack of Oscars, it will win several awards tonight. Starting with a worst musical moment, Greg. For me, this song is always going to be a bad time. Um, but then when performed. Uh, by by punks the louie louie moment uh there are several performances in this movie where clearly the people singing into the mics are like trying to punish the audience for showing up to the show or something and they just like make the worst sounds they possibly can to louie louie a song that's already kind of annoying and weird the most scene I've ever been in a movie is the guy who's not in the band, but who's allowed to sing this old standard poorly. Dan the Postman? <laughs> Dan the Postman is Mike the Gravano, if there ever has been one. Ryan, what is your Louie Louie moment? Mine was, uh, I, I was well aware that we were into the second half of the movie when uh, Tony Wilson tells us we're in the second half of the movie. Mm -hmm. And when we got to what it looked, what looked like actual footage of, sometimes it's easy to tell that like you're not watching the actors being the happy Mondays. This is Mm -hmm. footage from the actual show. And it was them all coming out to like, Hey everybody, 
we're going to drive each other out in shopping carts and like grab a tambourine or a guitar or a hacky sack. We don't know. Like grab a bean bag and start banging on it. And <laughs> this, it looked terrible. It looked like everything that's awful about this specific kind of music, which is like, don't you think it's cool that we don't give a fuck at all? And I, again, I think that that's part of what the movie's doing is like the movie is put together in such a way where you might think that, but you can't think that about the movie. You have to ultimately think that about the movie that it's put together very purposefully. It's hard to think that about the Happy Mondays. Just watching them perform is awful. I'm I'm going to give this one to Ryan because the Happy Mondays I think of as uh, no, they're not. I'll say as Christopher Nolan is they think they are better than their audience and they think the whole thing is short is bullshit. Where the Louis Louis is. J.J. Abrams, isn't it just fun? We're trying, even if we're not good at it. Yeah, we're all having fun together. Uh, so that is the worst musical moment. Wait, yes. All right, best musical moment, Ryan. You're never gonna believe this, Mike. It's Louie Louie. I <laughs> but like this brought me back so hardcore to like when ever, all these bands are playing a show and then you know what like even though this is not our style anymore like we all know the basic beats of this classic rock mm. song and so we're all like this was not one band this was all of the bands and a couple members of the audience and the audience was into it and it brought me so like back to these shitty shows that you know you would used to go to or play at as kids and we were all just going to sing this what became a standard you know like for right. our generation it might be like Shawn Mendes or uh, you know, like One Direction because of our youth. We're so young. BTS is butter, maybe. <laughs> we might we mm. might get up there and do butter with all the choreography, <laughs> of course. But uh, yeah, just like okay, so uh, we all played, and now let's all get on stage. This is my favorite part of any show I went to or any show I played at. Is it's the Louis Louis, and Louis Louis is again like sort of a proto punk rock song of just this is gibberish, and let's see if it hits. Oh my god, it hit. Uh, oh my god, my god. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I am Dan the Postman. Greg, in one of the few moments of true musicality done by one of the few <laughs> musically talented characters in the movie, um, it's kind of in the background of a scene, but uh, as um, New Order is just being formed, you hear a very stripped down version of Blue Monday. And it's mm. like, instead of all the noise, it's just the, the pleasing sounds that a guitar can make and then the pleasing sounds the human voice can make and then leaves the other ones out. It kind of separates in an artistic way the pleasant sounds from the unpleasant sounds. There wasn't that one white guy with the steel drum just being like, oh, I'll hit this as hard as I can. <laughs> yeah, dude. Just, I, I believe uh, Ryan said it best. It was like, grab a beanbag and just slap it. You know? <laughs> grab a beanbag. Um, but yeah, so like that real quiet, simple mm. moment and then like one of the best songs of all time performed by one mm. guy with one instrument and it ruled Greg. I will give uh, Greg a point because I loved that moment Ryan but Ryan a point because that is my life <laughs> and let's be clear Bizarre Love Triangle is New Order's best song right of course that's Blue Monday yeah uh, okay <laughs> so we're all, we all agree on that <laughs> We took a silent dead air second to agree on that. <laughs> we all listened. Best prestige TV star. What do we got, Greg? All right. Um, prestige TV. What does it mean to you? I know what it means to me. It means shows like The Walking Dead. 
And uh, the guy from The Walking Dead was in this. Um, uh, let's see. Lenny James, who played Alan Erasmus, is, is also the guy that fought Co-founder with of Factory Records. Yeah. Holy shit. The guy and who fought with a stick. And, and he said he wouldn't kill people, but then, like, he did. <laughs> he, well, was, he was the king. He was the king with the tiger. No, yes. not that no, guy. No, that's Ezekiel. The guy with the stick. This is the the slower guy, the guy who got trapped in that so, prison. So many guys have said they haven't killed Morgan. Morgan on the Walking Dead. Morgan on the Walking Dead. Oh, I feel bad for a specific reason. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, Listener, do you know the reason? <laughs> what's yours? Oh yeah, let's turn this into a Blues Clues. Talk to the audience about Mike's racism. Drama. <laughs> Ryan, what is yours? Uh, excellent pick, Greg. But I do have to go with Patty Considine, who played. Uh, the king in House of the Dragon, um, he was so peaceful as the king on House of the Dragon. He was just like, hey, let's everybody be calm as I slowly die <laughs> from sitting on a chair of swords that will leak out my bloody pus holes. He's cut himself on the chair of swords. He shouldn't be king. I just of leaned course. on it, dude. It's swords. <laughs> it's swords. And you mean uh, the guy who was Doctor Who, right? Because I'm an equal opportunity not knowing who people are. <laughs> Actually, do you guys know the Doctor Who in this movie? Oh, there, was it, is it Mr. Scarf? No. Um, the Ryan's uh, guy is the guy with the glasses. That's who he's talking yeah, who, about. Who, who fights people. Who, who ends every oh! business meeting by yeah. punching people. <laughs> by tussling. But, <laughs> That's uh, how we end most pop filter business meetings. Uh, another prestige TV star, not because of Doctor Who, but because of um, the show where everybody went up to the heaven for because lost, lost. No, no, no. They went up to heaven because they were Jesus believers. It's like uh, the leftovers. The leftovers is uh, Christopher Eccleston. Oh, Eccleston's in this. Yeah, who plays the homeless guy who screams at him all of about the Boethius? Yeah, no, about I all that was this... Christopher Gestiston. No, he, there was a guest star, Christopher Eccleston. Anyway, <laughs> it's uh, my my pick is Patty Considine. Uh, you're both wrong. It is Andy Circus from Prestige TV Andor. That mm. is the best Prestige oh, yeah. TV star. What is your cringiest moment, Ryan? Uh, this is something that I wanted to talk about. I don't know if this is the award winner, but the tone of the movie. <laughs> and that we've talked about all show and like how it's level of comedy. And then to have uh, our actor who plays Ian Curtis watch crazy TV for a couple minutes, um, smoke a couple cigarettes, and then it cuts to him just to his shoes hanging from his ceiling. And I cringed. I just, I want to talk to you two about like, was this the right way? It felt, I don't know if it was glib. I don't know if it was like, a little like w this doesn't matter to us or if like look at us this wacky movie you know what i think it was ryan i think it was when something like someone taking their own life happens um people want there to be a reason and when you make a movie and and, and they want the reason to be like this thing did happen or didn't happen mm. um and the truth is people are a lot of times just like desperately depressed and they just can't go on and so there's no like reason there's no trigger there's no one thing and I think that the artificiality of a movie, it wants to explain to people why things happened in the way they did. And I feel like in the- Just how storytelling works. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's what, we, that's what it's supposed to do. But that is like, there's not a story for most people taking their lives other than they were Ryan, sick with depression Ryan. and they couldn't 
they couldn't get out. You and, know? Yeah, and I mean, we see that from Ian Curtis before that happens. But also, yeah. the, even if you didn't know the story of Joy Division New Order, I feel like a couple scenes, starting a couple of scenes before the scene, you're like, oh, this guy's going to kill himself. Yeah, and there's a way the camera does. lingers on his on his far away stare that tells. Yeah, you that. I mean we're 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 they uh, the scene before that or a couple scenes before that it's like uh, we're traveling to we're touring America soon and it shows Joy Division or we hear Joy Division being excited while we just watch Ian Curtis not being excited. Not excited. But I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that the movie is about what does this person's suicide mean to Tony Wilson and when he's told. <laughs> Uh, that oh did you just hear Ian Curtis killed himself he is battling those two things at the same time of like that's crazy I just talked to him and also what does this mean for my career and uh, the reason I laughed is because he gets the town crier who's going to do a bit for his little news show some other bit just town cries that Ian Curtis yeah. is dead <laughs> and then that <laughs> yeah and you see him be really weird about at his funeral too and I noticed it's only when nobody else is around that you see him finally just be like, you were my friend and now right. you're dead. And this is like really yeah. sad. But when that reporter's there, the reporter is obviously going through it and feeling it. But the whole Tony Wilson's like, you, yeah, soak all this up. This is going to be great. You have to write a book about this. He's so weirded out because he's like, I'm devastated by this. And you're like being kind of slimy about it. But then he leaves and you see Tony Wilson really like, you know, that's so sweet the way he kissed him and said like, all right now, yeah. son, that's but there's an, there's another moment too there where um the he meets Ian Curtis's mother and says I'm sorry and she refuses to shake his hand and he's like yeah. weirded out by that like he's gonna he's about to get blame and then she's like oh you're really important to him and you're really important to me and then I think that's you just all, don't shake people's hands at a funeral or something that's all forgotten he's, he's just, just like oh fuck yeah mouth. fuck yeah like I I I'm uh, I'm back to the like main character of this story now. And that was cringe Ryan's cringe. Mine is um, what is yours, Greg? Thank you. In a in a movie uh, about so many bad types of music, uh, Tony Wilson just goes off on jazz, and maybe this is me being an American because like we've got like maybe two. That's things an American talent we ever invented, and one of them is jazz, and the other one is baseball. And English people just love to give us the business about that. But dog, really, you're coming for jazz in a movie that is like this much about punk. Get out of here. Jazz is transcendent. Greg. I, Greg gets the point, but I'm also uncomfortable with how much Greg hates punk and that I'm learning that tonight when <laughs> I do feel like Ryan and I have built mo- so much of our personality on. I don't know what's worse, how much Greg hates punk or how much he likes jazz. <laughs> I mean, those are both <laughs> fucking equally terrible. Well, I'm 40 plus, right. so. <laughs> so it gets a little loud. <laughs> pound for pound performance, Gregory. The Coog. No preamble. No preams. Ryan, rebut. I've decided that I'm not going for the main character ever again in this award. And so I am going to give it to the person who I thought hit me the hardest in this movie, uh, understood it the most, and also Josh, or I'm sorry, Mike, <laughs> has mentioned people in previously in this podcast <laughs> that I have dealt with before. <laughs> that was a legit accident. <laughs> Uh, I know it was, but it's Andy Circus. Uh, this guy doing uh, I, I, 
he he started wearing a fat suit throughout the movie, right? Oh yeah, yeah that okay. got weird. Like, I was like, he, is this the same guy? He he clumped out towards the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, he started playing the whale from the movie The Whale. <laughs> he was wearing the whale suit and everything. God, I love how people telling themselves for not watching <laughs> yeah. indie dramas by saying, "So in the whale, when you were the whale, name the whale." <laughs> you really became that whale, but some of that fat was not yours. Speak to that. Speak to that, the whale. Is your name? Is your actor's name the whale? The Have whale? you changed your name to the whale <laughs> on account of the fact that you've been seen as a fat person, so will always be understood to be fat now? But the beginning of the movie, when it, he was no bullshit, this is how I record. But I think that the ultimate part was he walked around in the hacienda and he was like, "Well, I fucking quit," yeah. and just <laughs> left the building. <laughs> I'm an artist, and you guys are wankers, and this is the end of the road for me. Right there, that should be its own movie, right? Like, him coming to that decision. What it is in most movies is bullshit. Just a ton of fucking dialogue of him coming to that decision. <laughs> That's perfectly how to do it. Uh, you guys are different now. I'm the same. I fucking quit. Fuck you. <laughs> Time to get too big to die. <laughs> <laughs> The whale style. <laughs> uh, whale style is great, but uh, I've not yet made the pledge Ryan has, so Greg gets that point. Kook, 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 kook. Uh, director's signature moment, Ryan. So we're going to talk about a different one of Winterbottom's movies in a second with recommendations, but to me, more so than 24-Hour Party People and this other movie... Um, more so than like his like middling dramas, like the A Mighty Wind, like his Angelina Jolie movies. Not A Mighty Wind, the one that sounds like A Mighty. A Mighty Wind. Heart. A Mighty, a Mighty Wind is Christopher, Christopher Gesselskin, who Gesselskin. you told me is not in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, did not think that Christopher Guest would come up again, but uh, here we are. Um, a Mighty Heart. Um, it's the trip movies. The trip movies are um, Coogan and Bryden, who plays the douchebag reporter in this movie, on uh, road trips to write travel journals about the things they see and the food they eat. Uh, all three of them are amazing. Um, and I sort of think of Winterbottom as that, as like sort of combining in a movie scene, these conversations of like, we will get as deep and as stupid as possible all at the same time. They're Despite- trying to one up each other in terms of like intelligent reads on situations. It's just yeah. so funny. The two of them going back and forth, trying to be as pretentious as possible. I can imagine. Think, I think that like, it's really important for Coogan to have somebody like Bryden there. That's maybe what this movie was missing is that foil. Um, I like this might be recency bias, but I am going to pick the final scene where uh, Coogan sees God. We, there's so much of this movie that we did not talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Coogan sees God, who is Coogan, because God uh, made man in his own image. So when you see God, he'll be he'll look like you. But I saw him, and so he looks like me. Uh, and so they go from talking about that philosophy about God, about music, about being glad that he signed the uh, signed Joy Division, then about how dank this weed is, all within like a 30-second span, because that's if, if you just put the camera on people and make it seem like it's improvised, they will cover all of those topics, you know? Like, I think mm. that's what sort of Winterbottom wants to do, is just be like, it's not... And when people are rock stars or, who, or celebrities or whoever they are, they're not t- constantly saying, hey, I'm a rock star, how about you? You're a rock star, right? Yes, I am a rock star. They cover the entire gamut, and we I get that in that. Myself an actor. We get that in the <laughs> entire last scene. Do Do you think uh, 
as Winterbottom and Bryden and Coogan are, is the American version is Lance Bangs, Knoxville, and Steve-O. I was thinking that it was like um, the Greg, Ryan, and Mike. That's what I was just thinking of. I was going to say the Sandler and then... um, Who's the who's the little guy? Rob Rob Schneider. Schneider. <laughs> Rob Schneider, and then maybe like Sandler's friend that they tried to make the star of Mama's Boy. There Grandma's should be a rule boy. where it's... I get a point every time Greg mentions how much he loves Nick. Rob Schneider. <laughs> well, yeah. I was gonna give Greg a point for that if he could remember anybody's name other than Adam Sandler. But I honestly, just said Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler's two friends. But honestly, Mike, for this award, my actual thing it's is Nick that Schwartzen. The time that Coogan sits in the snow. That's the most winter bottom part of this entire movie. <laughs> Greg, yours? I unfortunately am going with uh, the same thing that he said, the conversation with God. And uh, if you like, Winterbottom is known for these improvisational scenes and letting his actors do you know what they want and sort of like find it themselves. And you can't honestly do that if you are both sides of it and yet he still captures that feeling where it's just coog playing across from coog and i think i speak for a lot of people when i'm like the more characters you can have played by coog the better <laughs> your movie's gonna be and god should that should be the baseline they should be even more powerful than that so you want him to clump it up dude i clump yes. it up I want to see his name like five times on the poster. I want to see him wearing Steve the whale Coogan suit. And I want Steve to see Coogan. him as a CGI character. I want to see him uh, baby with an adult man's head. You know, I want all of these things. Just Old lady. Be like my toilet bowl, clumped up. <laughs> we are going to take the quickest of breaks. Oh, I should give a point for that one. Uh, can we do recommendations? Yes, we were going to do recommendations when we come back, but we can do it right now. Oh, sorry. Ryan, what is Greg's recommendation, Greg? <laughs> uh, Greg's recommendation, I mentioned it earlier, but Elvis, uh, if you like what this movie is doing and you want something that somehow is the opposite and also the same, uh, go check out Elvis. It, it, it pushes as far in the opposite direction as possible until it ends up in the same place this movie <laughs> is, which is like, isn't it just ridiculous that we have to do this to tell the story of somebody because we we don't want to just know the the real day-to-day life boring part of it and we don't want to just listen to the music which is the only way in which they're really good at communicating no we want to watch a whole story about them that is a good one ryan uh i actually have two uh it's a tie for me dog uh tristram shandy is a movie that came out three years after this one uh, it's a book that was allegedly unfilmable, and so they did it in this fashion. Like this is a this is an era of music that is unfilmed. Like you can't put all of this story into one movie. Can't put all of Tristram Shandy into one movie. So what they did is they made a movie in the fashion of the book that they fell in love with. Uh, Tristram Shandy is known to invent this sort of like metatextual thing, and the way that they do it is very very impressive. Um. And this is Winterbottom and Coogan. And Bryden has a much, much bigger part. Like, it, Coogan and Bryden, are, they, they are important to each other. Uh, the other one I wanted to say was uh, Richard Lester's movie, A Hard Day's Night, which I kept uh, thinking of. I would have brought it up earlier, but it was my recommendation, so I couldn't. Um, <laughs> it's about a day with the Beatles. And this movie, if you know anything, if you've never seen this and you like the Beatles, or if, you, if you've never seen this and you don't like the Beatles, this is, movie is required viewing. Uh, it's basically they are running from 
uh, screaming fans in order to have the most mundane conversations possible. <laughs> uh, like they're just like it. They they will run onto a train Why? and then Ringo will be like, uh, "Where's my? Did you, how many pieces of gum did you take?" And John's like, <laughs> "I only took one." He's like, "No, you didn't. You took two. You mother like." And it just shows that same thing that this sort of shows of like these are still fucking boring, terrible people. These superstars mm. that we think of. Uh, I I sort of think that as influential as twenty uh, four hour party people should have been, and you know with the walk the lines and the rays and the Bohemian Rhapsodies that came out, a hard day's night was like I I really think that like it's a crazy movie that sort of changed everything as far as rock movies go, uh, and the Beatles are really good at this exact sort of thing of like half improvised, half screen played, like half dialogue written sort of like let's just be us on camera they're shockingly good at it uh, i also have two uh one is uh more recent it is the show pistol by hulu and fx it is six or eight episodes about the sex pistols and uh showing like how do these fucking idiots change the world because the the main guy they follow steve jones aka jonesy is like an untalented piece of garbage no really uh, the <laughs> The you know Greg might not be surprised by that, but Ryan, uh, <laughs> the amount of people who go out of their way to help this piece of garbage, uh, it is it, it's pretty solid. And the other one is a book I reread a bunch of times in high school. If you just like music history, it's called Please Kill Me, and it is an oral biography about the birth of the punk scene in New York in the seventies, and it is so interesting. And uh, the amount of like they all had the clap and what that actually means. And yes, they also make music, I guess. Uh, it is awesome. It's a great book by Legs McNeil. Uh, great name. We are going to take it is a great name. It's weird that his mom gave him that name, but it's a great name. We're going to take the quickest of breaks. And when we come back, who won and how this movie going to do? Well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about or very problematic and perhaps. We have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Hey, Spuds, it is time to end it all. I think history was made, not just in Manchester, but tonight. Greg, you got 66 and a half points tonight. <laughs> you did remember my half you point. You remember the half point. Of course I remember the half point. Giving Mike believe, his new nickname, Half Point. Which I believe is from the Patreon? Yeah. yeah. Check out. I begged Patreon. for half a point. Pop for you begged and I, you know what? I, I give the beggars. But Ryan got 72 points tonight. Damn. Somehow. That half point was worth nothing in the end. Thanks I for am, nothing, Mike. So proud. What? You're going to talk to me with that kind of lip? If Let me find my good friend Drop Pad. Ryan. Got 73 points tonight. <laughs> if Greg had beat me by one half point, I would have taken this 30,000-pound <laughs> table and I would have flipped it the fuck over, even though yeah, it's on dude. wires. Didn't you want anybody to fucking, like, WWE just right in the middle of it to crack it in half? God, it's so, so fucking. Ryan, it's so clearly art for art's sake, but in the worst way. Like, hey, what's the dumbest table? Like, 
And factoring was when they like we didn't talk about the the posters that this one running character <laughs> did with like oh I'm I'm here with the flyers, the night mm-hmm. of the show. Uh, they were known for their artwork, uh, but like at a certain point, he just lost touch of like what art is or means or like what it's for. Did he ever know? Like it, it, it felt like he got lucky a couple times. And uh, yes, let it get to his head. Yes. Uh. This is, uh, you know what? Fuck it. I said it off air. I'll say it right. This is one of those movies where it's like, I don't like this. And then the more opening it up with you guys, I'm like, fuck, is this movie very good? And I think it might be. Yeah, impressive uh, little movie. Definitely worth having a show for. Like, yes. I'm, I'm very glad we did it. But with that perfect segue, Gregory, how is this going to do in a bracket? Yeah, I think it's just... It's nothing against the movie. It's how good the other movies in the bracket are. Um, I, I think that there's just a couple missing notes here, which perhaps ironically. D-flat. Um, we get it. You <laughs> hate punk. <laughs> but I, I just feel like there's contenders that are just too strong for it to really go much farther. Rhinel? Uh Yeah, I think that this is a, this is a potential elite-ator. I like. I mean, I didn't know, Mike, that you didn't like this movie until we talked. Um, but I, I think this movie is great. I think this, this has so many. Um, I, I think it's greater than the sum of its parts. Ultimately, is that like yes? When you, when you focus on any one thing, that like you're like, well, I mean, you know. But uh, it's greater than some of its parts, and also I have this new Gangs of New York bar of like it's far better than that. It's it's well, that was not even that was a bonus show of our eighteen bonus shows in the middle of the sixteen. I know it's not contention. It's not even one of the sixteen, and yet (laughs) I still like. Do you feel bad that Gangs of New York didn't make it in because we did this movie? No, No. I do not. Yeah, Yeah, forget that movie. I I agreed with Greg throughout it that. The scenes are interesting, but I kept being like, is this a fucking movie? And I guess it was taken to be like, it is Monty Python-esque, and the all of it is intentional, not that they don't know what the fuck they're doing. And I mean, we didn't even talk about the fact that like we had a segment about like style, and we didn't talk about the fact that like they purposefully shot the scenes in the 70s to be like a 70s documentary. And by the time yes. we got to the 90s, it felt like a Danny Boyle movie, you know, like... They were really like I kept thinking about transpotting for sure. Not just points. shooting the movie like that, but then also like in post, Cutting. yeah, yes. editing, and then like also filtering and like you know uh, making the film look in such a way where like it looked like this part of the movie came out in the nineties, you mm-hmm. know. And it, it it sometimes it felt false. It felt like special yeah. effects, but yeah. the the attempt there, like all of the attempts were, I I thought very impressive. Well, that is our 24-hour Party People show. Thank you for joining us thus far, listeners. Coming up the rest of the season, we have films like The Two Towers, 25th Hour Adaptation, and so much more. Until then, keep watching those movies.
So, while Americans overwhelmingly support the right of an individual to make their own decisions about abortion, unfortunately, that right is no longer protected anywhere in the U.S. The Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade on June 24th. Abortion is a basic health care need for millions of people who can become pregnant. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Even if you live in a state where abortion rights are upheld, access to safe medical procedures shouldn't be determined by location, and it shouldn't be the privilege of a small few. And we're already seeing certain medical practices be restricted even in those states. You can help by donating to local abortion funds. To find out where to donate for each state, visit donationsforabortion.com. That's the number four, donationsforabortion.com. If you or someone you know needs help or if you want to get more involved, here are five resources. One, Shout Your Abortion is a campaign to normalize abortion. Two, Don't Ban Equality is a campaign for companies to take a stand against abortion restrictions. Three, abortion.cafe has information about where to find clinics. Four, plantcpills.org provides early at-home abortion pills that you can keep in your medicine cabinet. And five, choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co has a collection of these resources and more. You can also find all the links to these resources at podvoices.help and in the show notes. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word.